Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is Guns and Playdates. Gun discussions have moved front and center in the media and also in our homes and communities this last month. The mom who requested this podcast topic asked not to be on the podcast because the conversation might become controversial. And at least two gun-owning families also thought better not to speak about the subject in public. So I'm grateful for the guests who are here today. My goal is to open the door to conversations about gun safety in homes with guns, to begin to acknowledge the reality that a significant number of families with young children do have guns in their homes, and that children are playing and visiting those homes with different levels of adult supervision. So I want to talk about the conversations parents have with other parents about gun ownership and gun safety. And if we get to it, the conversations parents might have with their children about guns. Welcome to four thoughtful and responsible parents who are at the square table with me today. I have Rabbi David Englander, Jonathan Chris, B. Jacobs, and Charles Truman. Charles, you were here with us for only the first 15 minutes, so I need you to get start get us started. Um, you're a dad of a young a young child, a gun owner, and a security guard here at B'nai Torah Congregation. What's your perspective on keeping your child and other people's children safe around guns? Welcome, welcome. All right, thank you for having me. I'm a firm believer that if you're going to buy a firearm, you do not go cheap on the safety of the firearm. You have to make sure to purchase a safe, preferably one that is fingerprinted to you. That that way you can have easy access to it in case of an emergency. However, no one else can get into it. Um, You'll see many, many times people just leaving their firearms around willy-nilly, and that drives me absolutely insane. So, if but but what does safety mean? Because... If you want to protect yourself in the middle of the night, you probably don't separate your bullets from your guns in two different locked settings. So how does that work with gun ownership, protecting my family's safety? Like I said, the the fingerprint setting on a safe is going to be your quickest and safest bet. Your children will not be able to get into it. It'll be anywhere in your house you can have one next to your bed with your fingerprint you can have one next to your computer you can have one by the front door wherever you feel safest and you might be able to access it easy that would be where i would suggest you have it okay jonathan um 
any, what's your question? Um, if you have a question, or, I mean, I don't know if anybody else at the table wants to speak to whether they own guns or don't own guns. Or um. you know, I don't. I don't personally own guns. Um, I'm originally from New York, and the funny thing was that honestly, this was not something that people talked about or thought about. Um, just I think just the the, num- the the prevalence of gun ownership in homes is just a lot lower there. Maybe you know, maybe I just don't I don't know about it. Down here in Florida, you know, because it's a concealed carry state and, you know, um, people are very in tune to their Second Amendment rights and it's just a lot more prevalent. And I I know of people with young children who have guns in the home. I know of people who um, uh, have no children who have guns in the home. And it's it's a topic that actually I brought up to my wife, Samantha, a while ago. Our son is two and a half. um, And when he was maybe a year old... I had said, you know what, if we ever have a play date and we're over at someone's uh, someone's home, we need to know whether or not there's a gun that's there and whether or not it's secured. And it's something which I said for, you know, a long, a long, long time ago. Obviously, he's not, our son is not playing independently in rooms. He's in, under constant supervision with us. But I've heard enough stories, um, both in the media, um, as well as people who I know personally, some of whom were, were employees at, uh, at my practice, of very scary incidents involving young children and, uh, and weapons. And quite honestly, in the same way that I don't trust a, uh, a large dog, I don't, Perfect. Yeah. I, don't tr- I, don't, I don't trust small children ar- around weapons. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, that if you've already started having this conversation with other families, the question is how many have like this this perfect scenario of some, a place where a child knows a gun is kept and and cannot in under any circumstances have access to it. Um, Rabbi, I'm glad Jonathan brought up the um, the example of a of a dog, a large dog or a dog that's um, potentially violent. Actually, the Talmud uh, a long time ago uh, ruled that um, you had to keep dogs that had the potential to uh, attack a human being restrained. And, uh, you know, the Talmud didn't know about, uh, didn't know about firearms, didn't know about gunpowder, didn't know about uh, safes with um, fingerprint locks on them. But it certainly knew that uh, within our home, we're responsible for everybody who comes through our doors. And we have a reasonable expectation that other people who our kids visit will uh, also take the responsibility of their safety very seriously. Um, and so the uh, modern equivalent of restraining a potentially dangerous dog is absolutely uh, keeping any, uh, any legally owned firearms uh, safe. We also have to understand, I think, that our kids are very, very perceptive. Um, that's no surprise to anybody at this, uh, at this table. And so anything but the very best um, you know, s- uh, security for a firearm is simply inadequate. If they've seen you open a safe with a key that you hide somewhere else or with a combination or anything other than a, a fingerprint or the equivalent, the assumption has to be that they do know how to access those firearms and they are exceptionally curious. Uh, that's something that we love about them, yeah. but something that can be also um, dangerous in the most debilitating way as well. So I'm going to let B jump in and then I'm going to come back to Charles again because you've given us a standard, um, and and again, but there's also the idea that your son sees you walking in with a gun in that, that's not concealed, yep. <laughs> so there is an exposure and an awareness of guns, which again brings about curiosity. Yes. Um, and then, and then I want to, after I have that B speak, I want to come back to 
how you handle the less than ideal situations because my I don't know statistics but how many gun owners have you know fingerprint safes how many are removing the bullets and keeping them separate how many are having conversations and how many and and then before you go I also want to ask you you know what point do you have a start having a conversation with your son about the gun in your house B Thank you. Um, I am not a gun owner. I have no intention on getting a gun. I respect people that have guns and they are responsible gun owners. Um, I didn't know they had fingerprint safes. That kind of puts my mind at ease because I agree with what you said, Rabbi, that kids watch you. They know where the key is and they're going to get curious when, you know, whether you're home or not and might, you know, want to you know do what mommy or daddy did. But, um, it's definitely a concern of mine. You know, my daughter's three and a half, and just last week we were at someone's house, and the kids went upstairs, and after a few minutes I realized they were just roaming around upstairs, and I was trying not to be the helicopter mom, but then after a few minutes I'm like, I need to go see what's going on, because God forbid, you know, something, you know, they find, you know, a, a loaded weapon or anything, you anything. know, a, a, anything that could harm them. So you just, you know, unfortunately you have to be very vigilant, and... You know, I'm not afraid to ask if somebody, you know, has guns in the home and, you know, where are they? Are they, you know, locked in a safe or you just have like, you know, a shotgun behind the door? <laughs> I know someone that told me they grew up that way and sure. they said, you know, you learn not to touch them. And my child is not going to, not at my child's expense, she's not going to learn not to not to, to not touch a, a gun, you know. So, and if you tell a kid not to touch a gun, they're going to touch a gun. So, <laughs> you, you know, you have to watch what's going on and know where they're at you know whose home they're at and it's just it's an unfortunate reality that we have to deal with and you would be okay saying to that parent thank you my child's happy to play with you anywhere else but not in your home I don't think I would want I don't know how I feel about a safe but if there were just guns you know because somebody kept one in the nightstand I don't want her playing in that house we can play outside I don't want her there I mean and then what about glove compartments I mean what about I mean go ahead take it away Charles okay so I think what our problem with society is now, these mass killings and things haven't started happening till like 30 years ago when people stopped disciplining their children. If you look at it that way, look at the society now. It's mostly teenage kids who are bullied or whatever who aren't being taken seriously. They need discipline. They need a strong role model in their lives. We need to stop glorifying guns. Because guns are honestly not the issue. In the UK right now and in Japan, <laughs> there, there's massive knife attacks because sure. there's no firearms. Sure. So, of course, now, I'm, I mean, I don't know. That, I mean, I'm going to have to jump in as, the, as, the, <laughs> as the, the discipline person. Of course. Um, which is, I don't know the statistics on those accidental house um, things. Right. Um, I will tell you that 20 years ago in an inner city school, um, I came into a class and, and a four-year-old said to me, Miss Karen, my aunt was ki- my aunt was shot last night. And I said, I'm so sorry. How is she? And they're like, well, she's dead. What do you think? And I then, it was a, it was a group in pre-K where I could then go and do parent discussions after. Um, the parents were also on campus. And I said, 
the most animated circle time discussion I ever had in that group. And they all knew, those children all knew where those guns were. Those children are all ready to grab those guns and defend family members and friends with those guns because they were superhero kids. And, and this was old culture. This is old school. And I went into that parent room and I said, how many of you have guns? And they all snickered and said, not us. And I said, yours is there. Yours is kept there. Yours is kept there. And your children know them and know how to have access. And they are curious about them. So... That's part of so what there, I'm trying to say. We need to stop glorifying. But there is a glorify. You know, when you give me a purple monogrammed AK-15 that's customized for a female, that's a, that is glorifying a gun. Okay, the way to not <laughs> glorify it is to have your kids actually understand. They're looking at video games. They're looking at television and seeing what these do. However, they've never felt the reality of it. At six years old is the age that I feel necessary because a child can then sort of grasp reality. They've seen cartoon characters die and they cry in a television show. You know, they they start understanding the reality of life. I believe at six. That's just my personal, you know, choice on that. But I take my child to the range. I teach them about safety. I teach them that at the end of this is not a good time. At the end of this bad things happen. Even our toy firearms that we have in the house, a Nerf gun, you don't ever pull the trigger unless you know that what you're shooting at is what you don't want there anymore. Whether it be a teddy bear or a target or a human, you do not want to ever pull the trigger. So that old school shotgun over the, there was a respect for the weapon, a respect for the reality, um, and, and some very, very diligent parenting. Well, if you look at Sears catalogs from the 50s, you see families all holding firearms in a Christmas catalog from Sears. Now, I'm glad you're here because you are representing a point of view that is is foreign to me. Right. So, and and if you look at it now, say that same Sears catalog came out right now, there would be a huge hysteria uproar because our children don't understand the reality and outcome of these glorified firearms. And and I, I'm I'm we're gonna try not to talk about you before you after you leave. Right. But but the reality of um, that that there is a large segment of our culture that is living with guns um, in a way that most of us have now become removed for from it. So so there's a whole different tension, which mm-hmm. is half of us. Are, are way more than arm's distance away from the reality, and the other half are very connected to a responsible kind of ownership. And now how do those two groups, you know, oversect? Because then somebody who's never had that access jumps over the line, and they have not had the training, the experience, or the parenting. And just Let me just say one more thing about parenting of before course. you go, and that is the other thing that has changed besides discipline, because, of course, I don't want to go back to old-school fear-based discipline. Right. Um the other thing that has changed in our culture that I see with potty training is that parents aren't home, that that, that the busyness of lives mm-hmm. is so very, very different than, the, than a home-centered small community of 50 years ago where you could man, you know, where family life was managed in a very different way. So it's very hard, I think, to, to treat, um, to, to have that discipline when you're on the go all the time and, and guns are just another thing in the household. But I'll give you the last word before um, sending you back to uh, saving the world. 
Well, you have to think that there in this world there are three different types of people. There are sheep, there are sheep dogs, and there are wolves. A sheep dog is the person with the firearm who's going to stand up for all of the sheep who cannot have the strength to stand up for themselves against the wolves. There will always be wolves attacking the sheep. And hopefully there will be a sheepdog around you to save you. Again, a different worldview. So thank you for representing that worldview with us today. You are leaving us with a lot to think about in terms of how do we... We're coming back to, I think, how we have conversations where we all think about these experiences and the realities of human nature even differently, at least as I speak for myself. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being here. And um, we're going to check back with you after we finish the podcast. Sounds good. Take care. Thank you. Okay, we just took a big deep breath because this is, the I think, the depth of the, the challenge of, of having a conversation. So, Jonathan. Yeah, so, I mean, I think there's a, a couple of different things to, to talk about. Um, I mean, the primary purpose of, of, of today's podcast was talking about, you know, how do we keep our, our children safe? And, uh, you know, certainly I have, you know, respect for people who, who own guns. And I think it's important for even if you, if one doesn't own a gun, that you become knowledgeable about them. You can at least talk the talk, so to speak, so that if you know that someone says, well, the safety is always on on my gun, you have a general sense of what that means. And sometimes that actually, if you have a, a, a if there's a, a, a handgun that has, you know, a double pull trigger, it basically means nothing. It means you pull the trigger and that's part of the safety. The only part of the safety is that if you drop the gun, that the gun doesn't accidentally okay, so miss my fire. heart's beating really fast here. Yeah. So, so, so tell me how you came to that knowledge and that process for yourself and for your family. Um, you know, I read a lot. I watch videos on YouTube. Um, Deliberately are, saying I need to become informed, or was that a natural curiosity about guns? Are you bridging no, the I two? Don't have a, do you bridge the I'll, two I'll cultures? Be, I'll be honest. <laughs> I have a natural curiosity about a lot of different things. I wouldn't say that I have a natural curiosity about guns. However, I think you know I'm a physician. I like to learn about things, and when you read in the uh, you know in the news that you know uh, this type of weapon was used in uh, in a killing or you know, this, you know, this type of weapon is used for hunting, etc. I like to at least know, have a, a basic level of knowledge about that. So, you know, I think it's important to be educated about, about firearms because there, the reality is that there are people in this world who have firearms, especially here in Florida. Here in Florida, you never know who does, um, you know, so we all have to be very, you know, vigilant and careful. And I think that, and then the most important thing in terms of protecting our children is I actually, I personally don't think that, you know, telling a four-year-old, you know, teaching them about gun safety is particularly important because the reality is that when they're playing pretend, I, I just, I think that any of that training probably flies out the window. And kids are very susceptible, whether to peer pressure or they're or in, in imaginary thinking. And so it's our responsibility as uh, uh, as parents to set boundaries to make sure that our children are safe. And that, so that therefore, if they are, you know, over at somebody's home that where they don't, where they have a gun, that we know personally that it's secured, how it's secured, and that there's no possibility of any access. And the reality is that probably I would elect to have a play date outside of the home anyway. 
We'll go to there you go. we'll go to Monkey Joe's. We'll go to La La Land. Unless we'll go, it's someone you really know. Unless it's someone I, I, I really know and trust. Okay, and and I will just throw out because of course there is a lot of um, th- there should be more discussion about the de- what children can and under- what can children can do and can understand developmentally. So I just send everybody to the National Association for Education of Young Children. They do have an article posted online promoting gun safety, sharing knowledge of child development to support informed decisions. That is on naeyc.org um, because there is a question of whether we can trust children to a hundred percent anticipate the consequences of choices, actions, and decisions, and whether teenagers even make those good choices a hundred percent of the time. So, um, Rabbi, you are always, um, I know your your mind is always deep in thought and and looking at this from many points of view. What would you like to Well, I'd I'd want to return to uh, Charles' metaphor. I think it was a metaphor uh, for the three different types of of people in this world, I guess I see uh, a little bit more subtlety because, you know, a, a wolf uh, can be someone who didn't mean to become a wolf, someone who is devastated by the fact that a choice or decision that they made um, on any level turned out uh, much worse than they uh, thought that it uh, thought that it would. Um, the fact is that unintentional um, gun violence, gun accidents um, uh, create a devastation at a level that is so heartbreaking that you simply want to turn away and perhaps not uh, not deal with it. Um, and instead of maybe a sheep dog, I would suggest that from a Jewish tradition's perspective, the um, role and the job of a shepherd is actually one that is uh, truly endemic to our biblical tradition. It was considered a vaulted profession. It was considered something that was truly honorable. Um, those sheep did rely on you. Um, and uh, you were meant to uh, chase them down. In fact, we're approaching Passover now, and we understand that one thing that God really liked about Moses is that he took really good care of his sheep. And God said, if you could take such good care of those sheep, you can take care of my sheep too. And those are the, uh, those are the Israelites. But in the metaphor, as all metaphors do, it breaks down because we have to be concerned as parents not just with conversations among parents, as to what kind of environment um, we are sending our children into. Um, We have to be concerned with that conversation for sure. And I appreciate hearing that there are parents who are explicit about those conversations. And I know that it's not just about guns, right? It's about other less violent, but also potentially uh, damaging or destructive uh, things or entities, many of them uh, connected to the so-called modern world in which we live, although I guess every age thought they lived in a modern world. Do you have open internet access that's yeah. unmonitored? You know, what about food and drink? What about alcohol? What about um, who's going to be home? You know, all of these different things. But we also have to talk to our kids, even though they're not going to be able to process or absorb or make decisions um, fully based on what we hope they will base those decisions on. We have to tell them what to do if they see a gun in a home because most of them will have no idea. We have to tell them what to do if uh, someone says, hey, drink this, I'll tell you what it is afterwards. We have to tell them what to do if someone says, hey, look at this on the computer screen, you're really gonna like this. You know, we, have to, we have to actually give them some tangible, uh, in Jewish terms, tachlis, which means a, a, almost a, a physical sense of what it is that um, we hope that their, their reaction and response will, will be. Uh, guns is one of many issues, but obviously the one with the most devastating potential physical consequence if it's not, uh, if it's not processed as, as, as well and as healthily as possible. And I will also say that we should be prepared as parents to be asked those questions 
and not to respond defensively, not to respond as if we're being accused. I think it may, it's not so easy to ask, by the way. It's not so easy to ask a, 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 um, a parent of your child's you know, friend, hey, do you have guns in your house? Hey, are they secured? Hey, do you have fingerprint locks uh, on your uh, on your safe? But it's also not so easy to be asked those questions, whether on guns or on anything else. And we have to try, I think, to let go of that defensiveness and instead to say, hey, thank you for asking that. That shows that you're concerned. You're as concerned as I am. It makes me even more comfortable that my kid is friends with your kid and that you may be the uh, you know the parent on site. Uh, for, for, for my child, who's uh, the most precious thing to me in this world, as your child is the most precious thing to you in your world. <sighs> okay, I'm exhaling a little. I want to come back to the conversations that we have with our children and at what age you guys will start thinking about that. And Rabbi, you have the oldest children, so I'm going to return to you, but I just want to see, B if you want to react to it. Yeah, another, another concern of mine is we might ask all the right questions. You might have your best friend that you've known your whole life and you know your children are safe with them. But my other concern is what about the other people that come into their homes? You don't know what they're bringing into their home and what potential dangers are there. My daughter has a habit of going into anyone's purse and turning it upside down and this is a concealed weapon state and you know not to sound like I'm well, so there's neurotic, a very very that, specific question I mean going to Charles's yeah. point on parenting has changed do we set new rules that say you may you know like and be equally diligent about you may not go into anyone's purse I mean that that becomes a really strict boundary if I t- I mean you t- if I t- with my daughter I can only speak to her if I tell her not to go into someone's purse I know where she's going she wants to get into that purse which so. means that there's that because but again if we say I can't teach them that right. because that'll just become a new challenge for them to to mm-hmm. to, to to conquer I mean, um, I guess you could teach about respecting other people's property but not to you know my concern is whether the guy is in the purse or you know but it means when someone what's the procedure then when someone comes into your house where do we put bags you know like should that be one of those you know we we're very diligent mostly about our pool fences and our pool boundaries you know so they're putting making sure children aren't outside without water wings if they can't swim maybe purse i mean there's i mean i think that's a very specific question that could be on people's radars and then you could also have someone that just comes into the house that's a friend or a neighbor and they've got a concealed yeah. weapon on yeah. them yeah. and that's when bad things can happen you know someone has an argument you know it's just i don't know what the answer is it's an unfortunate reality that we all have to live with right now you know charles was talking about um you know the fact that what was he saying i'm sorry um you know, that this all goes back to discipline. I think the gun problem is so multifaceted, and it's not about figuring out where the problem is and eliminating it. I think it's now we need to just make sure that we're safe, and how can we do that? And not to go off on a tangent, but, like, this is just something that bothers me. If I want to drive a car, and I know a lot of people make this argument, but, you know, you have to have licenses to operate vehicles. You have to carry insurance. You know, when you're a homeowner, when you drive a car, you have to get training to do whatever it is that you do. I don't understand why it's such a problem. If somebody wants to own a gun, have some training, do background checks, Which is maybe why have insurance. we and, had to have him here today. <laughs> and, and I think that, you know, that, Jonathan, you bring also, like, a, a true respect for gun owners out there. <laughs> um, because, of course, I go into reactive mode. Um, 
And, and, and so what happens is I have trouble listening. And, and, and so I just hope through this podcast that we all become a little bit more self-aware. Like, yes, we all feel like safety, safety, safety. But when, when, when Charles says discipline and I'm like, wait a minute, I want to talk about that. Or sheep gave me that, you know, like, I'm not even sure I feel comfortable with sheep for anybody, even in the, you know, like, so there are things that are just like, not my way of looking and thinking, but how, but I do respect Charles and I do, you know, I'm sure that I would feel comfortable with children playing at his house and, and I'm, and I, but I, I need to understand that there is a culture that says we can take two and a half and three-year-olds to a gun range. You know, there's, I have to get out of my head too and somehow not not feel like I can't have a conversation with him um, and hopefully he with us and thank you that he came here. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, we need, we, we can't be naive about what's in the world and the, the, the practical reality is that there are many, many gun owners many of whom own a gun for personal protection, some own it for hunting, some own it for, you know, for whatever reason. Um, and so it's important for us to, um, to be vigilant, maybe hypervigilant, about, you know, gun safety. Which is, I personally, again. I personally have no interest in owning a weapon. Um, mm-hmm. I don't anticipate ever owning a weapon. I certainly don't plan on having one in my, in my home for all of the safety reasons that we, that we talked about. Um, and I have very strong feelings regarding, you know, gun control and what types of, uh, of weapons people should have access to and registration and things like that. So please do not get me wrong. Um, and the advocacy issues that we all take on personally are separate from the conversations we will have in reality. But specifically about, you know, how to, how to keep my son, you know, safe. There was... Um, you know, they did a study where they took, you know, a whole bunch of children and they put them in a room where they had hidden a, uh, a handgun in, uh, I think, in, you know, in a drawer. And they just had the kids go in and play. And 70 per- in 70% of the time, a child found the weapon. Do you remember the age? Uh, I, I don't. I don't. I think they were elementary school I- age. Um, in 50% of the time, a child picked up a gun. In 30% of the time, a child pulled the trigger. And, and that was despite even have, you know, telling kids, if you see a gun, run and tell a parent. It's the same if with you stranger say, danger. You know, correct. you come with me with candy, I'm going with you. And uh, so, you know, that's why, that's why we build fences, right? That's why we have protection. We could, I could tell my son a million times, don't go in the pool. You know, it's not safe. I still have a pool fence. Absolutely. I still have a fence that's around my, around my, uh, around my home. We, there are still alarms. Um, there are certain things where you can trust your child up to a certain point and that's you know and the same thing go, you know goes for for adults you're talking about you know someone who you know may be a responsible gun, you know gun owner but an argument ensues or something and you never you never know or so the teacher, the teacher that, that, that accidentally discharged her firearm you know to teach about when while teaching about gun safety <laughs> right so um let me make one point then i'm going to come to rabbi and i would like to hear from everyone about um, because there is exposure, whether it's through pretend, whether it's through whatever the situation, there is exposure already with two-year-olds and up 
in terms of how they can perceive guns, think about guns, whether they are real guns or not real guns, but where you begin with that conversation and your experience with what they understand, because we know it's not going to be a one-and-done conversation. They're like, I've had the talk, I can rest assured, I never have to address this. And, and Rabbi, you have the, the you know, three very different children who are out there in the world um, processing complex concepts. But before we go there, I just want to make one comment because, Jonathan, you used the word, we have to be hypervigil. And, and we do, but B, you also said the phrase, I, I, need, I, I, had to, I didn't want to be the helicopter mom, but I had to go up there and do it. And so what I just want to put out there is just something for future thought, because we can't address it here today. But it's this idea that in parenting, you're always walking that tightrope, that balancing. Because if you are so hypervigilant or such a helicopter, you will not create confidence, mastery, and self-management in your children. You will create fear, anxiety, or an overdependence on not being able to make decisions without you. So there is that that crazy contradiction that's, like you said, if I tell my daughter no, she's going for it. So as, as we are internally hyper aware and creating every layer of protection that we can possibly control we can't we don't have that absolute control so with that i'm going to pass it on to which which takes us to the next conversation i think well and to continue just a, a bit more with that with that part of the conversation you know this is the this is perhaps the key challenge of parenting. On the one hand, right, we worry about our kids all the time. We want to keep them protected. We want to keep them safe. And we also want them to grow into independent, strong, and, and uh, independent, um, you know, um, you know, well-minded you know, individuals who are able to inhabit their own personality and, and find their own place in the world. And you can't do that. if you, They can't do that if you keep them uh, close, to, uh, close to you at all times. Um, so it's this balance. We are concerned. We want to keep them safe. We want to ask all the right questions, and we want them to be out there operating in the world and to find their find themselves, you know, out there so that they can build a life that is uh, that is uh, that is meaningful. And that is built right back into you know the beginning of humanity, according to the Torah. Right? God says that uh, you know you're gonna you're gonna grow up and you're you're gonna go on your own basically, and whatever family dynamic is uh, is uh, is sensible to you or or, or meaningful and. Um, uh, it's 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 not so easy. We know people who, who I'm not sure. I know a lot of people who get it right. I do know a lot of parents who seem to get it wrong, mostly on the side of being too overly protective, frankly. Uh, but um, that's not their fault necessarily. That is a societal issue. Um, uh, the old older folks in our congregation will often tell the story. You do not need to prompt them to uh, find out how old they were when they first took the subway to Yankee Stadium, you know, or whatever else uh, it might have been that expressed independence. That was a different world. Whether it was a world that was less safe or not, statistically, is kind of difficult to prove. But we can't change that reality. We can't change the reality that Charles was talking about with regard to uh, the way that other people, as it were, were raising their uh, their, their children. We can try to deal with this. We can try to deal with it reasonably. Um, I want to note that we're recording this on the day before March 24th, which is the day for the uh, marches for our lives, uh, which are a direct result of gun violence uh, just to our southwest uh, as we record this in, uh, in, in Parkland. And um, 
yes, it would be nice if everybody grew up to be completely responsible and independent in a way that protected my right to live a fulfilling life and my kids' right to, to live a, a safe life and other people's kids' uh, rights to, to, do the, uh, to do the same. We know that that's not part of our reality, and so we need you know, sensible, um, you know, sensible laws and we need to rely on people to do what's right. Um, we know that other countries are doing this better than we are. And I don't know if that's politically sensitive or not, but other countries have the same issues with mental health. Other countries have similar issues with so-called discipline of kids, however you want to call it, living in a modern world that's technologically interconnected. And their rates of gun violence are simply a fraction of what we have here. And um, we have to be able to say we're not doing this as well as we can do this. And we have to do it a little bit better. Actually, we have to do it a lot better. And hopefully we're going to see some um, some active change on, on this front, too, toward uh, our kids having the opportunity to, to live the, the full and healthy lives that we hope all kids will have the chance to live. How can you equip your children to live in a world with violence and with guns? Well, uh, on, on, the, on the one hand, you know, we, we, cert- we, haven't, we haven't entirely eliminated the notion of guns or violent television on a kid's level, you know, from our kids' reality. Um, in part consciously because we want them to be exposed to things that are really out there, and in part just because we're not, you know, we're not uh, helicoptery in that way, perhaps in other ways. We've also tried to, you know, help their independence by actually letting them walk across the street to a store, letting them cross uh, a street with a traffic light without us, or, um, you know, tr- trusting them, trust but verify, you know, their, uh, their internet usage and their texting and their um, and their Instagram accounts, et cetera. So we, we do what a lot of parents today do, is, which is that we are, we, are, we are vigilant but not hypervigilant with them, and I'll certainly um, be, the first to, uh, be the first to admit that. I think there is a level of exposure that's necessary. There's a level of um, honest uh, and open uh, conversation that needs to be developed over time so that uh, your child will not be surprised when you bring up an issue that is of emotional or uh, psychological significance. Um, and um, there's also the sense that we are still in charge of protecting them as long as they're under our roof. And we're going to try to do that as best we can by giving them the tools, by giving them the vocabulary, by giving them the, the, the comfortable and safe space. Okay, so Rabbi, so because your experience, not, it doesn't have to be about guns, but I know you've prepared your children for the vocabulary of how do you manage a situation that feels uncomfortable or unsafe, and how do you give them the, the, the verbal and emotional support to, and the cognitive resources to say this is your safe space. We, we've tried to uh, make sure to encourage uh, our kids to understand that there's always a responsible adult to find but sometimes they have to be able to sort through the adults before they find the responsible one. And, um, you know, going back in part to Charles's metaphor of the, uh, the sheepdog, if I could extend it back to the shepherd, these people ostensibly were qualified. You know, we do have to rely on the fact that there are people that our kids can go to uh, if they have a problem or an issue. We deal with a lot of things through the, through the metaphor and lens of food allergies, which are also deadly uh, or potentially deadly for uh, kids who, who do have them on a, certain, uh, on a certain level. And they've learned to ask, you know, very good questions and uh, sometimes questions that other kids would be embarrassed to ask because you might be putting your host in an uncomfortable position. But they know that these are issues for them of their health and their, and their safety. Um, you know, so as a, as a as a somewhat minor example, perhaps compared to gun violence, 
right? Giving kids the, the hopefully giving them the, the window and the confidence to pick up the phone and call the chef who will be cooking for them on a weekend away or to say that it is perfectly within your, your rights and, um, and our expectations of you to find someone to ask these, uh, these questions to if you feel uncomfortable or unsafe while you are out operating in the world without our direct supervision, um, we hope that they're absorbing these messages, and uh, we've seen evidence that uh, in some ways they are, and in some ways, like all kids, they still need to grow. Yeah, but that you can raise children with a powerful personal voice and, and a personal power that says, you know, you can trust what you're feeling. So let me just finish my last question on the, in the sense of like how you will or think you might, or if you have, had the conversation about guns for your child. I haven't had the conversation yet, but I think, you know, what I'm getting from this is, you know, and I always tell her, you know, to go get an adult when something is wrong, you know, to, to go get help, you know, and maybe as they get older and, you know, you know, don't be afraid to say I'm not comfortable, whether it's a, it's, it's a gun or whatever it may be, you need to put that away and don't be afraid to protect yourself. And if you need to leave a situation, don't worry, you know. Yeah. I mean, I remember my little example with the, those pre-K kids, and I and I had to say, let's be clear. If you see a gun in a room, get out, <laughs> get out of that room. You yeah. know, if, especially if it's just you know uh, exploration. Jonathan, um, if you've had any conversations, and how you and Samantha have talked about this. Well, so conversations with Miles right now, um, we haven't. He's, you know, two and a half, but he's at the age where some of, you know, he likes watching movies, he likes watching cartoons, he was recently watching Monsters vs. Aliens, and there are play weapons that are there. There are, you know, there's, there's some degree of, you know, pretend violence that's occurring. And so he does develop a little bit of a language, and it's always scary when you have kids who start saying things like, oh, I shoot you, or oh, I, I kill you, which is obviously a horrible thing for, you know, to, to hear from, from a child. So we have those discussions about, you know, no, we don't shoot people, we don't kill people. He's really not at the age where he's going to understand what that even, what it even means, like what it means for someone to die, I don't think is, is something which Can is I? developmentally appropriate at this time. Um, so that's why, you know, we have to step in. We have to be the adults. When he's older, then I'm sure we'll have some of those discussions, and there are things that we'll put our foot down more about that he might say or do. Um, and, you know, in terms of, you know, other like play dates and things like that, you know, I, I think of it as, um, you know, when I operate, we have a checklist. There's a safety checklist that we go through for, okay, we operate, we're doing the right thing to the right person on the right side of the body, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the reason why we do that is because in an ideal world, things go great. But sometimes people are under stress, sometimes people are hurried, sometimes there's a change in protocol for whatever reason, sometimes the patient is anxious, and we need some sort of level of safety and security that protects us as doctors and protects you know, the, the patient that gives us some structure for that. So, you know, I think that having maybe a checklist of questions that you might ask before going over for play I think is reasonable and appropriate, and I think can be helpful. And quite honestly, um, I think there's only a few types of parents that I'm going to allow my kids to go over to. Either they don't, you know, they don't have a weapon and they think that things are safe, or there's possibly I'll let them over if they have a weapon, and I, we know exactly that it's locked up, and et cetera, and I trust them. And... If there's someone who's offended by the question of, you know, do you have a weapon and is it secure and all of that, then quite honestly, I don't want my child playing there. 
And it's that simple. And for me, it's black and white. And I, I know that we, I had this conversation with Samantha and she said, well, it's, it's not that easy. It's not that easy. So I said, okay, then throw it on me. I'll, I'll call. I'll call, even if I don't know, if I don't know the father, if I don't know the mother, I'll call and, you know, uh, uh, and, and I'm happy to step in in, in that, uh, you know, in that regard. It's a fabulous point to make, too, is that the conversation isn't going to be easy and comfortable for every grown-up, and it's not going to be easy and comfortable for every child as you send them out there in the world. And so it really is this sense of what is that plan B and C and D so that there is backup and support for the people who aren't as comfortable asking those direct questions. I ask people every day if they have certain infectious diseases or sexually <laughs> transmitted stuff and, and whatever. So for me to call up a parent and say, hey, do you have a gun? Is it locked up or whatever? You know, for, for me, that that's not a challenge. And but I, understand, I absolutely understand that, especially among people who do not have guns or for whom uh, guns make them very anxious, which is a lot of people, especially nowadays, I absolutely understand and appreciate how difficult it is to have these sorts of discussions. And so I don't want to, um, you know, minimize that. Um, but, you know, if it's not you, maybe it's, it the, maybe it's the husband, maybe, you know, maybe it's, maybe it's the wife. The, the husband may, may not want to say anything, but the wife is, is very cut or, and dry and, about and it. And a mom played so, in circle. It's like, you're the one that's nominated to check on everybody's information. Right. Let's do our wrap-up. I thank you wholeheartedly for being here and doing this with me because um, it was, it's important for me to, to go through this process as well. So um, the wrap-up is always the same. How have you got this? Um, keeping your children safe and other people's children safe for right here, right now in this world. Jonathan. Well, um, you know, I think in terms of for play dates, you know, being inquisitive, asking, I like to know what's going to be going on in someone's home. Right now, my son is not at the age where he's going over independently. He's always with either Samantha, myself, or both of us sort of constantly in the same room. So the chance of anything untoward is unlikely to occur. However, we certainly anticipate in the future, he's going to have independent play dates. He's going to have sleepovers. He's going to have all sorts of opportunities where something could occur. And you can't you know, protect your child from everything, but there are certain things, specifically you know, gun violence in a home, that I think that we can protect uh, a child from. Okay. B, how have you got this? Um, I think you have to ask the right questions and, and be prepared, you know, with some follow-up like you were talking about earlier. Some people might appreciate the question. Some people might find it offensive and just be prepared to be prepared for both responses so that you can have a meaningful conversation. How do I see, like, the Internet exploding on, or, or Facebook exploding with lists of questions um, <laughs> and conditions um, that we... You might want to share what you have after we finish this because I know you're, this, you'll be thinking about this. Rabbi... How have you got this? I love the idea of a, of a questionnaire. It's uh, tough to quantify our world sometimes, you know, because we live in a, a qualitative environment uh, as well. And sometimes, uh, of course, we just we have to be, sometimes we are trusting, and uh, other times we have to be a little bit less trusting, a little bit more forthright. You know, I'm a product of as much of anything as of a Jewish uh, Jewish summer camp experience. And I remember very well uh, the director asking the uh, entire staff together, gathered during the training week, what's your most important responsibility? And uh, counselors trying to impress him would say, uh, well, 
you know, I have to educate the children. I have to be a good role model. I have to, you know, um, I have to um, teach them to throw a ball. And he said, uh, he said, no, your most important responsibility is to send home as many kids as arrived. <laughs> and um, it got a little bit of a laugh uh, for sure. But ultimately, um, that is all of our, our responsibility. And we have to look at it both in terms of the way that we ask of and are willing to ask and I think the explicit nature of parents being able to come together and being able to say hey this is both what I do and what I aspire to do is uh, so important and we have to be ready to receive those questions to know what our answers are and to uh, be uh, not only non-defensive but to be creative and to be constructive in the in the ways that we fulfill the you know cardinal Jewish commandment of kamocha. we have to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves by extension we have to love their kids uh, in this way that we uh, try to keep them protected while they're in our care with the expectation that our kids will be protected while they are in the care of, uh, of others and that doesn't happen automatically and so being able to you know, express explicitly what better questions, uh, what better safeguards could be asked and uh, and answered. I think is a valuable advance of this um, of this idea and this conversation. Thank you. Thank you all very very much. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to see me, hear me, love me, seeing little people learn and grow, listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey, loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.